Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K. Wimmer. I am Mariah Rose. And welcome to everybody who is tuning in. If this is your first time, you are listening to a podcast about the 80s. If you are returning, thanks for coming back. Um, we're hanging in there. We're quarantined still, but we're having a good time using it as an excuse to watch a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. And boy, we watched a fun one this week, and we're very excited to talk about it. But before we do... yeah. Thrift stores have been closed for weeks now. Yep. <laughs> we warned you guys ahead of time. There, we were going to run out of things. So, what did you do this week to come up with a thrift find, Mariah? Well, I have two options for you. I have my desert find, which is <laughs> yeah, I want the desert. Well, I'll take them both, but I really want the desert find. Okay. Uh, so I was walking way out in the desert with me, myself, and the our million dogs Mm -hmm. and i came upon actually a a kill site where some somebody had died cool very Uh, metal but it was just an explosion of feathers so i (laughs) i know i'm sorry little bud but i took its feathers okay so you just robbed a grave well, no, there was nothing left but feathers. So I just gathered a few of them. I bring them home and I wash them. And then I, like some weird gypsy, send them in letters to people. <laughs> <laughs> so I have that. And then I also went online to a secondhand store and bought a vintage glass bulb or like Christmas ornament mm-hmm. from, I think it's the 50s and it's a lemon. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So what did you find? Way to hang in there this week. Thank you. (laughs) I have a feeling like we're going to have to do it again next week. Oh, for sure. Well, this week I couldn't be very creative. I didn't go into the desert, but I did just settle for some some stuff online, uh, secondhand stuff online, but it was very important stuff because... Of course. As some of you may know, or especially if you follow my Instagram site, I have a special collection of memorabilia and press related stuff and releases from the 1986 film trick or treat one of my all-time favorite movies you're pretty pretty intense about it yeah i really like the movie and i've been after a couple pretty rare releases from australia both the cassette tape and the vhs that are both very hard to find and i was able to wow pick them both up one was in paris and the other was in australia and yeah it's crazy i wish i was in paris yeah me too but i'm very happy because it might not be a thrift find but it's an important secondhand find so isn't it weird isn't it weird though like uh, I like the serendipity of thrifting where you walk into a store and you're like, oh, I didn't know I needed like 14 glass hands or whatever. <laughs> and instead, I just search 14 glass hands and find it because yeah. it's all it's all there ready for me now. Yeah, it kind of takes the fun out of it. But what can you do? We're making the most of of our situation. Yes. I mean, you could join me in the desert. I could, and look for bones and feathers. There's shell casings, too. What would you do if we were walking in the desert and my find was like this awesome skull that you've been waiting years to find? Oh, and I was like, no oh, it looks skulls. like I got a cool find. Where do all the skulls go? Well, it's a short story you haven't written yet. Okay. Oh, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> like a, an underground like witch who just collects skulls. Yeah, to lure you in because you keep looking for them. Oh. She's going to start laying them out like breadcrumbs to bring you into her coyote cave that she lives in out there. It would work 100%. It would. 
Okay, well, that's enough of that. <laughs> We're clearly jive-talking because we have no no thrift finds this week. <laughs> All right, this week we are bringing you Necropolis from 1987, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Necropolis, City of the Dead. Yeah, it's a City of the Dead. Do because we? when I watch this movie, I think City of the Dead. <laughs> well, I mean, there are people who are dying and it's in a city. There are dead people in the city. Uh-huh. It's just maybe not a necropolis. I mean... But hey, what can you do? (laughs) You're splitting hairs here. All right. This is another gem from Empire Pictures. We're going back. I think the last one we did was Eliminators. We've done a few now. We keep dipping into them, kind of like AIP. It's just the the well that keeps giving us water. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) I like it. The elixir of Laser Graves' life. This was a delight right from the start. We were both like, oh, hello. Here we go. This is a first time watch for both of us. Absolutely. I mean, I know the cover really well. I do not own this on VHS as a lightning release. If somebody out there has a second copy and wants to let it go for a very normal price, I would be happy to take it. But otherwise, I just haven't been able to track down one at all. No, it's super rare, too. Like, even researching it, you and I both had some difficulty digging up real meaty information. Yeah, this was a really tough one to dig up anything on. Usually, we can find at least a few interviews or reviews or something, but I think we actually found one of the most difficult Empire films to research because basically every other Empire film has like awesome bonus DVD features and interviews and all kinds of stuff. This has nothing. So we did, we pulled up some stuff, but it was slim pickings this week. Yeah. Like every, nearly every actor in this film has almost no credit to their name beyond this film. Yeah. This is definitely one of the overlooked Empire ones just kind of got glossed over because there were other ones coming out at the time that were, you know, much bigger. And and this came out, well, this didn't come out. This was filmed, and we'll talk about it later, in 86. Came out in 87. But 86, for anybody who knows the story of Empire Pictures, that was the golden year for them. That was the perfect year when they were at their height, mm-hmm. putting out all kinds of awesome films right before the bubble bursts, and then they went bankrupt. So this was part of that class of awesomeness from mm-hmm. Empire pictures the story of it though is interesting i did after exhaustive (laughs) searching dig up it took a lot of effort i was about to give up but i did find a little information and it's actually pretty fascinating so i thought i'd spend the beginning here just talking about how this film came to be please do i am so curious because i didn't research this area knowing that i would step on your toes but it's like a dead end everywhere you turn with this film. Yeah, and I'm kind of hoping anybody who is a fan of this... Oh, also, if nobody has seen this, if you have Tubi, which is a free streaming mm-hmm. device or... Uh, app? Which is a free streaming app, you can watch it on, on Tubi. It's there, sitting there. That's how we watched it. So It's there for you. There are ways to see it if you don't own it. I like that we weren't sure what to call it. Is it an app? Is it a device? We're like old people. But what I I did think was interesting is for those people who already know this film, maybe we can teach them a little something. (laughs) Yeah, because it's not easy pickings. Yeah, so here's what I did manage to dig up, is that Necropolis came to be because it was the brainchild of one of the producers, Tim Kincaid, who also went under the name Joe Gage because he was a porn director. (gasps) What? 
Of course. Well, gay porn in particular in the 70s. And then like almost all porn directors kind of transitioned into film in the 80s, just Mm -hmm. normal like genre film. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting how common that was. Yeah. And especially producers. You know, we talked about that with the Dr. Caligari episode. Yeah. That a lot of producers who were really kind of riding high in the in the porn industry in the 70s transitioned into making horror movies in the 80s. So this is another case of that. So Tim Kincaid was this guy who was looking to make some films. And he created this company called Tyson Films, which is T-Y-C-I-N. With his wife slash producer, Cynthia DePaula. So they'd created this company and they were looking to kind of branch out into genre like sci-fi and horror and stuff like that. Well, he took a trip one time to the annual American film market and he went up to one of the, the booths or the spots for Empire Pictures, which was pretty newly formed at this time. Okay. And met... The owner, Charles Band, which we've talked about many times later to to make full moon pictures. So he met with Charles Band and he had some some information with him, some of his ideas and his scripts and stuff like that. And tried to do like an impromptu meeting to sell to pitch to him. Yeah, that's what you got to do. And Charles looked over his stuff and was like, yeah, I'm not really into any of this. However, it seems like you have cool ideas. Why don't you reconnect with me later when you get back home or whatever? And we'll see what we can do. And he did follow up with Charles Band. Yeah. And what he ended up doing was pitching him a very early script for what would later become called Breeders. Yep. Which was an early empire kind of cult classic. Yep. So he signed on to do Breeders and Tim Kincaid got to direct it. And it was a, a solid film. And so what ended up happening is Charles Band agreed to sign him on for a 10-picture deal with Empire Pictures. Holy guacamole. Yeah, so he immediately jumped into his next film that he directed, which is the even more popular Mutant Hunt. (laughs) (laughs) So he was riding high, and it was during this exact same time. I mean, this was all happening in, like, 85, 86. And so since he was working on Mutant Hunt, he was feeling pretty good. Mm -hmm. had another big idea, and that's where he started to come up with this idea for Necropolis. Uh But because he had just signed on to do another film, which was Robot Holocaust, which we do (laughs) own. We haven't done it yet. It's it's really fun. Um, He was going to be directing that the same year. So he enlisted a guy named Bruce Hickey, who, to my knowledge, this was his very first film. I don't know how he got roped in. Bruce Hickey. I hear he sucks. (laughs) (laughs) he's a real bruiser oh my so he came on to direct and i don't know the story but bruce is credited as being the writer and screenwriter so what i'm imagining happened is tim being the producer said hey i got a great idea there's this sexy new wave babe that you know is a witch and comes back and starts pitching and then he probably took that and actually wrote the script yeah so that's why he's credited with it. So okay. he, so Bruce is the writer of this one. But it seemed to work out. And then once that was all established and they had everybody in place, there was a budget set. Now, as you'll remember, we've talked about this a few times with Charles Band. He's kind of notorious for being pretty secret with his budgets. And I think it's because they make such low budget that they don't want to really reveal how they're pulling it all off. Yeah. I would say more importantly for people who are not Charles Band fans, 
it's pretty obvious that maybe he's not paying everybody or was at the time, you know, so. I always assume that those people are, like, when you're being secretive about your budget, it's because you didn't get, like, like pay fees to take shots in certain places and stuff like that. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's actually true, but that's what I imagine. I also think that it's because half the, the cast and crew probably wasn't getting paid. And if they knew the budget, they would, they would be upset, oh. especially early in the Empire days and then into some of the full moon. But it was pretty bad in the Empire days where, um, you know, it wasn't, wasn't as upfront and by the books as it sure. should have been. So what I do know is I was trying to look into this to try and get a, a sense of the budget. And I did find that the film Dream Maniac, which is a really fun one we should do. Mm-hmm. I did find a budget on that one. And that was being filmed this exact same year. And that had a $70,000 budget. So I'm assuming it was Whoa. probably a little less than that. Although this was shot on 35 millimeter and Dream Maniac was shot on 16. So maybe it was about this, but... I would imagine the ballpark of not going over 100000 and that makes sense for this. Okay. I mean, that rang all of my film nerd bells as you <laughs> did your research, but I'm, I'm proud of you. <laughs> okay, well, nerd alert. <laughs> anyway, so that's all I could do with the budget. And then this was filmed in New York and New Jersey, a lot of back alleys at night. Yep. And it was filmed in January of 1986. That is why it looked so very cold. And so dark and so grainy. Yeah. It's as though a first-time director was making a low-budget film. It's weird, too, because if you think about New York in that time and what it was like, ooh, it's so gritty. I like it. It's really gritty. My very first time to New York, I mean, I was born in New York, but not in the city. But I, the first time I visited the city, Mm -hmm. I was nine years old, and my mom and my sister and I drove through, and we got lost in Chinatown at 3 a.m. What? Hold on. I know your mom. (laughs) What? what was she doing? I don't know. Did I ever tell this story on here? If not, it must have been early on. Oh, my goodness. We were going to see my si- my other sister who had moved to Connecticut. And we thought, oh, let's pass through. Except my mom screwed up the schedule. And we found ourselves going through New York at like 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and she, she was like, let's not stop at a hotel. We're just going to no, power that's through my mom. 80s New York. <laughs> so yeah, this is like crime ridden, like drug and violence 80s New York. And your like, mom is not a hardcore yeah, lady. Yeah, so this would have been 1989. And she took a wrong turn. This is all a true story. <laughs> Dead serious. You can, you can check with her. Aww. She took a wrong turn. The heart of New York City. And we get lost. Of course. I am not making this up. We were driving by and there was literally a group of, like, straight out of, like, the Warriors, a group of street thugs <laughs> looking at us like, you know... Totally fish out of water. It was all very traumatizing to a young me because I thought we were going to be murdered in New York City. You almost were. And that, yeah, I was, it was very close. <laughs> that was my first time in New York. So every time I watch uh, movies from the 80s, especially mm-hmm. like gritty nighttime movies, I totally think of that first memory and it's glorious of just like little kid me being terrified. Whenever I think of 80s New York, I think of when we first started dating and you told me you sent your grandfather a package from New Mexico to New York and it was returned because they thought you needed international postage to ship from New Mexico. (laughs) Yeah. Or something like that. That's so cool. Anyway, so even though we're going to get there to the nitty gritty New York, 
we can't get ahead of ourselves no, because no. we gotta we gotta set the stage of this amazing epic adventure necropolis. Yeah, let's hold back a little bit. We'll get to New York, guys. But we have to start off with our lead, and she's the only actor I'm gonna talk about because beyond one cult member, there there's like nothing to be found. <laughs> so our lead actress plays the character Eva. She's the witch in this film. We'll get back to the story in a minute. But Leanne Baker, it, she was in Bad Girls Dormitory, which I happened to see on an up all night. And it was, it's like kind of lesbian women, but sure, it's, just it's an, an exploitation, exploitation yeah. for sure. That was a uh, Tim Kincaid film. Yeah. And so I saw that when I was a kid, when I would go stay at my... Gosh. So, okay, as, as our listeners know, I led a very sheltered childhood, but... I had a friend whose mother was incidentally a psychologist. She would let me watch Up All Night and all sorts of horrible things every time I stayed the night. So that was my only, like, underage forays into things I wasn't allowed to watch. Nice. And so I saw a bad girl's dormitory when I was, like, 10. (laughs) Cool. And it formed your opinion of what a woman is. Well, I mean, it was also edited for, like... TNT or whatever, but wherever it was. So anyway, she was in Bad Girls Dormitory, and I think that the title's just bad. Uh, She was in Breeders and Galactic Gigolo. Oh, okay. Yeah, so one of the cult members who we'll get to in a bit was also in Breeders. Yeah, they all were. I mean, everybody was kind of involved in this. I think even the cinematographer on here worked on Breeders. I mean, it was a small group of people. Yeah, absolutely. So they had like a team. And I kind of wondered, like, what happened to Leanne Baker? And I looked into her. Oh, really? Yeah. So Okay, cool. Well, she did a, a... So those were the films she did? Those were her credits? Yeah, I mean, she had, I think, a couple other little things. But she was never... This was like her breakout lead role. Okay. And her only yeah. lead role. But she... Boy, does she steal was it. Was she in Mutant Hunt also? I yes. feel like she was. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, but she I, she wasn't a main character in that, I don't believe. No, I think she was just the sexy chick. Yeah. I mean, what else is she going <laughs> to be? What else is she going to be? She went to school at NYU and just kind of started acting and doing that but that after explains her accent in this film that oh yeah her uh, her witch accent that happens to be just like a brooklyn accent <laughs> <laughs> but after 9-11 which is interesting because when we get to new york in this film you see the twin towers mm-hmm. and it's really weird to to see the twin towers now every film now it's always weird yeah totally but y- you see a big shot of it but in her personal life leanne baker after 9-11 left new york and moved to some some place called adirondack park and became a young adult novelist oh really yeah it's like a successful one i think she's doing okay she's done three books but they're like you know the freebies that are on audible or like Sweet. three to five bucks. Good for her. I know. And she's got like nice reviews. And she's she looks like a mom now, like a a church mom almost. But you can still see it in her face. The and edge. Like, there, I know you're yeah, there. She's really cool. If you're listening. <laughs> hey, good job on this. Oh we my really gosh. are a huge fan. <laughs> Leanne Baker fans all the way. For sure. Underrated bee queen. Yeah. And she also like... I mean, she's just re-envisioned her life as a young adult novelist. She's won some awards and stuff like that. Good is, for her. She's married, has Hell a daughter, yeah. living her best young adult fiction writing life. That's the way to do it. 
Yeah. So let's let's jump in, shall oh, we? Let's please do. Let me take you back to seventh century, seventeenth century New Amsterdam. <laughs> Uh, 1686, it's really important that we know because it's going to be 200 or 300 years in the future that we jump. (laughs) (laughs) So we have this white-haired babe who you instantly know is a witch. She has like a long flowing white mullet. I did like her witch hair more than her future hair, honestly. Yeah, it was good. It looked like she was going to do makeup tutorials on YouTube. Yeah. Absolutely kind of the vibe that I got. But she's doing a witch ritual, which I would like to call a ritual. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. So she's doing a ritual, and there is a man who is following her spying, and simultaneously we have a wedding between, a, a obviously, a couple. Yeah. And she's got some cult followers, and they're all going. And this is when we jump right into our first exotic erotic dance sequence. Yeah, this is so awesome. Oh that she's my got gosh. like the 80s moves back in the 17th century. She was yeah. ahead of her time. Yeah, and the whole purpose of this ritual is to give herself everlasting life, give her soul to Satan, whatever. Mm. And so she somehow conjures up this bride and kills her as a sacrifice. What do you think of, you know, this reminds me of Night of the Demons. What do you think of cool, seductive, satanic dances in 80s movies? I think they're important and necessary. They just, like, instantly make the film a billion times cooler. Oh, yeah. Once we saw that, you and I just, like, gave each other side-eye and we're like, guess we're sitting through all one hour and 16 minutes of oh, this. Yeah. We're definitely <laughs> doing this one. She kills the bride. Yes. And then let's just fast forward to 1986, shall we? <laughs> Why wouldn't we? I don't know. Why wouldn't we? Opens up with her sitting on this awesome motorcycle and she is decked out. Like, she's lost the mullet. Yeah. She's got she's got the um what was her name? Bridget something. Nielsen? Nielsen? She's got that short, like blonde crop cut. Yeah. And she's got like her leather and her spikes and her whatever. She looks kinda like punk new wave. Yeah, and Very she's got cool. a crotch rocket. It's not like she's driving a Harley. Oh, yeah, no. she's No, she looks like she's out of, like, the edgy chick in a Duran Duran video. Yeah, absolutely. She's got, like, red lipstick, white hair, black leather, and, like, fishnets. And her legs are on full display because they're 90 miles long. Yes, and she is not in a Duran Duran video, no. however. She is cruising to some pretty awesome 80s jams. Yeah, I got a little something for you there. (laughs) Did you recognize the song at all? I don't know it. Okay, I didn't know if you'd catch it or not. No, I don't. I can't. I couldn't think of it. Okay, I did. And I had to look it up. And then I was like, oh, yep. Okay, that makes sense. She is cruising to a song by an artist named Sonny Hildens. And it is this song called Rock and Rock. And it is featured and had just been featured a month earlier than this film. (laughs) In David A. Pryor's Killer Workout. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Whoa. Let's hear it. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. There yeah, that's is. a jam right there. She's cruising around, doing her thing. I'm going to have to put that on my workout mix on Spotify. You should. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. I'll get it for you, and then you can add it to your workout mix. Thank you. Killer workout mix is what <laughs> you should call it. No, it's called Getting Buff Music. <laughs> M-E-W-Z-I-K. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the music, this was the, the film was scored by this guy named Don Great, but... A lot of the music was just reused clips from other Empire films. Like, there's oh. definitely a, a track from Trancers on there. I think there's a couple tracks from, like, Breeders and stuff. So, so they just couldn't get the rights and they just... Well, they just recycled everything to okay. save money. I thought that was funny. It works. But at least we got the killer workout track, so we're all good. It wasn't, she's a knockout. It was not, unfortunately. All right. That would have rock out. Oh, should we yeah. hear that one? Yeah, we should. Okay, here you go. All right, that was from Killer Workout. Yeah, not it was. this movie, but boy, do we like Killer Workout. Yeah, go listen to our episode. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so we learn that she is, I guess, on the market for the Devil's Ring. Oh yeah, how cool is that? I guess I would love to own a ring called the Devil's Ring. I don't know if I would. It seems like a lot of responsibility. I don't know. It does cool things. Anyway, the devil's ring is supposed to be at a pawn shop. So she goes there, talks with a shop owner, realizes he sold it, weirdly enough, to like a minister. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. Why? They didn't explore why. Just why. <laughs> I don't know. Why the ring? Why the minister? Why, why any of this? Well, I know why the um, pawn shop. Because she needed a, a lair to set up shop in. Yeah, so she she kills the pawn shop owner. <laughs> she stuffs him in the refrigerator. And then just decides to live there. And quite frankly, he's a grody guy. Yeah, and she... I didn't feel bad about it. But it's cool because she does set up a little altar and occasionally does her satanic dances by herself. She does. And weirdly, she's got like Satan's skull, but it's like neon green. Yeah, but she's really living her best life. She is. Or best lives. Who knows? <laughs> so she is in search of the devil's ring after killing pawn shop owner and taking over his house, which, quite frankly, choose a different location. It's yeah. gross. It is but gross. She settles in. She's fine. And she is starting to try and track down uh, a man named Henry because he's the the new owner of the Devil's Ring, I guess. <laughs> and she doesn't quite figure out how to get it for a while because he's put it into a safe and he's like kind of onto her creepiness. She tries to be like a wayward teen it's really weird it is weird but we learn that she gives up the charade and goes to her this is her go-to move through the whole film uh -huh. which is very effective is to uh, use her mind to manipulate people yeah it's <laughs> pretty cool that's a cool move why didn't she just start with that with the pawn shop guy and be like go get me the ring back well she did right before she killed him she did a little yeah, to find out where Henry was. Spooky, spooky, and he was like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how that went. Yeah, so <laughs> that was a direct quote. <laughs> so she um, goes and finds Henry and just kind of works her way to separate them. She makes some recovering addict look like he's 
having an, I don't know, withdrawal. So Henry the priest leaves with this addict who isn't actually having a, a withdrawal. He's just really cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't quite understand what her way of thinking was. Why wouldn't you just be like, you're all very tired, except for one guy that she makes him kill himself. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. In a really drawn out scene, but she does it. And then she gets the devil's ring. She I mean, does. So ultimately, it doesn't matter her technique. She still succeeded. She gets it and she uses it to call her zombies. Also, we should say that Henry, <laughs> Henry was one of the guys who was from the beginning, from 1686. Right. So, they, we were finding that they are reincarnated. We, he's the only one we know so far. So she, hold on. I've got a question for you. Oh, okay. Did the witch die back then and has now been reincarnated along with everybody else being reincarnated? Or was she just kind of hanging out, waiting around for 300 years? Okay, so you are familiar with this film and you're familiar with the fact that the writing is a little bit murky. Uh This is one of those areas where you go, ah. I honestly don't care. No, it it, it doesn't doesn't matter. matter. (laughs) Yeah, so she has the devil's ring, and she calls up these zombies. Yes, she does. They were her, like, former followers. One of them is from the Breeders movie. Yeah, all right, cool. Okay, so they're there with her to, like, worship Satan and wreak havoc, I guess. They don't seem to have an end game. Uh, They've definitely got some things they're going to be doing in the near future here that are more than worth a party. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. So after the guy that killed himself uh, is discovered, the cops obviously have to come. And there is the most ridiculous, I don't know if he's a mortician or whatever. He's terrible. But if you watch it, just look out for his character. No notes. He's a secondary star in this. Yeah. Uh, and we meet a cop and a reporter. And they are the bride and groom that were killed or that were in the murder incident earlier yes so they've been reincarnated but they don't really know it or recognize each other they feel a certain familiarity with each other and the reporter is a little bit more new agey and she's kind of pushing for like for sure we were in love in a past life but interestingly i relate to this because in high school i had a a boy tell me that he and i were in love in a past life (laughs) oh man it wasn't you and i was like oh no sorry yeah that's awkward it was real awkward so when i saw it happen in this i was like no that sounds like a teenager pickup line oh it was bad it really didn't work i have to say that the detective here though yes i immediately um was kind of i had to stop and look it up to make sure yes you did he okay for this is maybe a deeper cut for some listeners, but there's a band called Suicide, a very influential band. And one of the members of the two pieces, Alan Vega, and this guy looks like like the clone of him. Mm-hmm. And I seriously thought it was Alan Vega from Suicide. And mm-hmm. it's not. But I showed you a picture because I said, look at this. I, it looks just like him. It's crazy. Question. So is Alan Vega dead or alive and did he die in the 80s and could this be a reincarnation (laughs) no he died in uh like 2016 so i'm sorry this is this is not the reincarnated alan vega okay as this actor i mean it would fit that would be pretty awesome (laughs) okay (laughs) 
So we have a cop and a reporter who are maybe falling in love again. And meanwhile, we have our our Eva, who is starting to lure in, like, street riffraff, I guess. Oh, yeah. She's, like, checking out the... The working ladies on the street. She's hitting up um, some headbanger. And... Yeah, there's like a couple. And she, we learn her killing technique. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. It's awesome. Okay. She, she like lures people in and sucks their soul out via ectoplasm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a slime. It's pretty gross. <laughs> yeah. So she uses mind control, pulls people into an alley, sucks ectoplasm, and FYI, your soul is ectoplasm. And do they actually, they use the word ectoplasm. Yeah, one of them says that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I, I wrote it real big in my notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I do like the kill. I mean, this isn't in order necessarily, but nah. she kills, there's a couple where it's like this headbanger guy and this chick who has the biggest hair. It is massive. It's like bigger than Axl Rose's hair in Welcome to the Jungle. It's oh, by like far. Big, big hair. It's I as as we were watching it, and you were like, "What's with the hair?" I mentally like pinched her face and put it around her head, so it's like her face on either side of her head, wide. So like second face to the left, second face to the right, but it's made of hair, and then above. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's. Huge. It reminds me of the album cover, that Blondie album, Headhunter. Yeah. It's got that gigantic hairdo. But even bigger. But I do like the kill because she goes and kills him in the alleyway. Yeah. And then seduces the girlfriend. Yeah. It's really funny. It's just basically this witchy woman playing tricks with everybody and having a good time. Yeah. She's just really having fun. Also, when she's killing the headbanger, who happened to be named Snake. Yeah. Clever oh, And her name is or the girlfriend's name is Cat. Okay, cool. Snake and Cat? Yeah. Isn't All that right. cool? Let's totally. call ourselves Snake and Cat. Maybe. You gotta be Cat, though. I wanna be Snake. What? <laughs> okay. Anyway, she looks at Snake <laughs> and goes in and gives him this really cool line. You want me so bad. You'll give the devil your soul. Won't you, baby? She's got some cool, some cool moments. You know what? Now that Eva's got some, like, ectoplasm, she, it's time for another ritual. She's got the devil's ring. She's got her ectoplasm. <laughs> Why not? She's got some, some zombie cult waiting for her. She's got the itch in her step. So she goes back to the, like, weird house that she's taken over in the back of a pawn shop. <laughs> the body of the pawn shop owner still in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> With beer, we find out later. Yeah. <laughs> and she starts a, a ritual. Everything seems normal, but then her chest starts to bubble. So she's topless here. Okay, so guys, if you've seen this movie, this is the moment. If this you haven't, it. this is the moment. If you've seen Total Recall, this is the moment, except double it. <laughs> Yep, all that chest boiling reveals that she has not one, not two, not 56 breasts. Not 56. Nope, just six. Okay, that was misleading for a second there. I got lost, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. But we're back. Six breasts that pop out of her chest Mm -hmm. and are fully functional. She is ready to mother the zombies that she has summoned to her. Yes, I actually wrote ectoplasm is mother's milk for zombies. 
Who knew? And then we get kind of a burial ground scene. Well, hold on, though. I want want our listeners to know that if they find a zombie starving in the street, find some ectoplasm. That's true. Just pop a bottle full of it and pop it in their mouth. That's all it wants. That's the only purpose it's alive is to just suck some ectoplasm out of a six-boobed witch (laughs) living in a pawn shop. (laughs) Behind a pawn shop. This movie is awesome. So now Eva is unleashed. She is ready. She wants to collect that ectoplasm. Oh, yeah. She's nursed her zombies. She needs some more because everybody knows when you're nursing a zombie, they're never full. Yeah, it's draining, too. It's a full-time job. Yes, nursing is draining. That's funny. Um, Anyway... Anyway, she goes out, she kills a pimp, and she continues on. Meanwhile, the cop finds the shop owner, who I'm just now is remembering, remembering is named Rudy. Oh, the cop. Oh, Alan Vega. Yeah. yeah. He finds Rudy, the, sh- the pawn shop owner in the fridge here, and a beer. I love that he opens it up and there's just a body in the fridge. And then he like looks around and finds the beer in the door and just pops it open and then closes it. Gross. It's <laughs> a like body beer. Classic, uh, stereotypical New York cop in the 80s. Uh, yeah. And then he starts to panic. I think he's kind of somehow putting the pieces of this puzzle together. <laughs> Not the brightest detective. So the cop and the reporter who I think it's only in the uh, like one night that this happens because you don't see daytime at any point yeah very unclear their relationship really moves quickly well they were connected through time i guess and they are he gives her a 367 357 it's it's numbers in the hundreds and it's a magnum it'd be a 357 uh i wrote 367 i don't know if that means anything Now Eva is ready to finish her ritual, though. It doesn't matter that there's a gun involved because Eva is not intimidated by guns. It's time for her to finish this ritual and grab the bride. So the point of the ritual is eternal life? I don't know because it seems like she's already doing that. That's what makes me think she hasn't been alive this whole time. Maybe she's just trying to double down on the ectoplasm. Maybe she wants 12 boobs. Oh, maybe. Well, so much to be determined. It's a mystery. Anyway, she's going to chase down and grab herself that former bride, now reincarnated as a reporter. Oh, man, though. When she's, like, hunting her down, awesome score. Gonna play it. Yeah. Yeah. is really cool it's got a lot of lot working for it which we'll get to at the end which <laughs> okay because it's about a witch right good one <laughs> clever yeah and i think that we aren't fully conveying how cool eva is yeah that's true she's this really cool entire film rides on this one woman's individual coolness without this leanne baker actress there would be nothing here. She succeeds. She is a babe. She has the hair. and But I think it's more than just looking a certain way. She has an edgy style to her mm-hmm. that is so cool that, I, I mean, 
Honestly, if I saw her walking exactly as she looks right now down the street, I'd be super intimidated by her coolness. <laughs> she, You know, for all the like hipster spooky girls out there that on Halloween dress up as Angela, mm-hmm. try dressing up as her instead. As Eva? This is a way cooler costume. I should dress up as her every day. Oh yeah, go for it. I don't think so. It's a lot of work. I don't have that you kind of energy. You may need some prosthetics under that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant, but I like it. Okay, let's move ahead. Eva gets stabbed by a, like, twig cross, and the police officer rescues his one-night girlfriend's 300-year fiancé. Yeah, well, they've got some history together. And he cuts off Eva's arm. Yeah, that's cool. That's weird. They blow up the pawn shop like you do. <laughs> yeah. We also haven't given Henry much love, the priest or whatever he is. Oh, He's yeah. like the guy who oversees wayward kids. Yeah. Why? He's got a pretty cool scene towards the end here where he punches one of the zombies' heads off. <laughs> <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> this film is bonkers. It's just like, oh, that's happening. All yeah. right. And it's funny because he after uh, after the detective, Alan Vega, cuts her arm off too. Then he blows her up. Yeah. And we're like, okay, cool. That's it. Mm-mm. No, no. Nope. It's the next day. Is it? Because it's still nighttime. You see no daylight at any point. I think it is the next day. Okay. And this devil hand, they're like in bed hanging out because they've survived. Yeah, the reporter and the cop. And this devil hand starts crawling up. <laughs> That's so great. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, what is it, a thing from Adam's yeah, family? Yeah, Kind of like that. Yeah, kind of. This hand is too legit to quit. Oh, no. For sure. Oh. So this hand starts going up and starts choking our lead, Don, the, the reporter. reporter. Yeah, it's really funny. While re- the detective's in the shower or something like that, so he's kind of clueless. Mm-hmm. But what we don't see, and we soon realize, is that although the hand maybe didn't choke her to death, it did, in fact, take over her body. Oh, yeah. And the witch survives, and she succeeded. And now she's a reporter. And now she's a cool reporter okay. in the year 1986. And that's... <laughs> that's Necropolis. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like if this was in the theater, it deserved a slow clap. You know what? I failed to do any kind of fun fact because it was so hard to find anything. Yeah. See what our listeners are expecting it, so I'm going to give it. Whoa. I got a fun fact for you. Yay, yay! <laughs> Okay, this is a really lazy fun fact, and I apologize ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) I am almost, I'm like 98% certain that one of the bands I played with all the time in high school was this death metal band, and they were called Necropolis. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember thinking, guys, that name is completely taken. But this was pre-internet, so uh, uh-huh. they didn't know any better. And ignorance is bliss when you're in a small town band. Yeah. And they went in and called themselves Necropolis. But two of the members of that death metal band mm-hmm. left that band and joined my band. Wow. Pretty positive their name was Necropolis. I'm, it was. Yeah, it okay. was. I remember. Okay. I thought so. I remember. Yeah. There you go. How's that for a fun fact? I don't know. Yeah, sorry guys. We got <laughs> Desert Thrift Finds and that for a fun fact. 
It's a coronavirus post. We're yeah, totally. Just it's deal with it. It's all going downhill. <laughs> all right. Well, this was uh, sent to post-production in Rome because that's where Empire Pictures had to do all their mixing and, and stuff for, for post-production. Oh, wait. Was it Rome, New York? No way, Jose. It was Rome, Italy. Oh. Only the finest for Empire Pictures. Okay. And then it was released in May of 1987. So that was a long turnaround over a year. Well, somebody had to carry it on a boat all the way to Italy. Here's the craziest thing. What? I couldn't find a secondary source. It says that it got a theatrical release. (laughs) Oh, could you imagine taking your date and seeing this in the theater? I I mean, yes. I feel like it would solidify your, your relationship. You and I would have freaked if we saw that in the theater oh yeah this would have been we would have watched it multiple times in the theater but it came out in may 1987 and then right after it got its vhs release most empire films apart from things like you know ghoulies and stuff Mm -hmm. didn't get a a theatrical release most of it was direct to video but this did get a short one and then it went straight to video like i mentioned earlier it came out on uh, distributed by lightning video and it also got a european release through vestron and then over the years, you know, Full Moon Direct put it out. It's got a, a DVD release. And guess what? Nothing on the DVD. So huh. it's just funny because if you look into anything else around this time, like dolls or anything like that, it's got like tons of interviews with the cast yeah. and crew. This has nothing. No, it's really impossible to find good information. But it sucks because I would have loved to have heard oh my just the making of this and, you know, what went into it. Because it just seems like it was really fun to do. Well, and honestly, like in my research, I found out how to contact Leanne. And I was like, I don't think I have enough time. Oh, it would have to... been awesome to get her on the show. Oh, my gosh. Could you I, imagine? I can't. I would be, I mean. <laughs> I would be pretty I would cool. feel bad, too, because we haven't yet read her books. Yeah, so. we need to do that first. Then we'll have a follow-up. We'll do, um, like, Mutant Hunt or something and have her come back on. Yeah. There we go. That'll for sure happen. I did find, though, that the magazine Cinefantastique, which is a very popular and, and famous magazine that does reviews and stuff like that, in 1995, I had found an, an article from 87. That's where I got a lot of this information was I found a PDF scan on yeah. a... on a JSTOR. Well, kind of like that. It was a college library's database. Yep. They had scanned the article. That's where I got a lot of the information. But I also found that they did another issue in 1995 where they did an in-depth look and review of all the Empire films. Yeah. And ranked this one as the absolute worst film Empire ever made. That's weird, because you know what? As I was reading, uh, you know, different people's reviews, just like individuals' reviews of this, everybody was so into it. I'd kind of expected people to pan it, and there were a couple of those, but most of the reviews I read, people were like, this was amazing. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I love it so much. It's so weird. Also, Leanne Baker's com. Yeah, I would say if you're a, a real fan of horror and you're really familiar with maybe lower budget or B-movies, this is a very solid film yeah. that's really fun to watch. This is not going to change the world, so don't be like, oh, Laser Grave said it's amazing. This is not like Schindler's List or anything, but it's definitely <laughs> an awesome film. For us, this is 100% Laser Grave's material and approved. It's entertaining. I loved it. I don't know why they would do that. I would imagine it's just a bunch of like cine, cine, 
file snobs or something like that that <sighs> I I don't know we've already done a lot of Empire films I've seen several and I can tell you just thinking off the top of my head like The Alchemist or something this is way better than that not that I don't like that film but come on now I mean so this is a cool mm. one yeah so you have to put this into context if you are a highbrow movie watcher <laughs> maybe skip it but if you heard us say nursing zombies ectoplasm and you were like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Then you should watch this. Yeah. I mean, the only thing what it made it better was like if they were spooky farting zombies. But <laughs> what? <laughs> you remember spookies and all the farting zombies. <laughs> Imagine if they were nursing and farting like a real baby. Oh, gross. Too much. All right. Sorry. You, you far, can only guys. do one thing. I'm just trying to get Patreon subscribers. If you liked what you just heard. You like that quality of joke making. We just last week sent out a new time travel episode, right? Ready for your ears. All you have to do is subscribe via Patreon. Yeah. How's that for a segue, Paul Blart? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you liked what you heard, you can rate, rate, review, subscribe anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts. You can also check out lasergraves.com for back episodes. Follow us on Instagram at lasergraves. We do have a Patreon, everybody, and we're working very hard, so sign up. Thank you to everybody. we got a couple new people, so it just keeps every week chugging along, so it's making it worth it. Yeah, it's so much of our time. We love doing it, but it sure helps, you know, pin a rose on it when we see new supporters. We appreciate it so much. Yeah, and thank you for the kind messages we're getting from our oh, Patreon yeah. members, too. They're really awesome people. There's like a little family now. Yeah, it makes our day. Yeah. So thank and you. So we are at patreon.com slash lasergraves. You can see the tier system. There's three levels you can join at. And then if you want to follow us on our personal sites on Instagram, I'm at death at 33 RPM. I am at Mariah Rose Wimmer. And that's what we got. So check Check out Necropolis. <laughs> I think it's pretty damn cool. <laughs> and we will see you next week for something else, I guess. Yeah, probably. All right, bye. Bye. Bye.